Jay Johnson here, and I want to welcome you today to our daily podcast series, Success Diaries. You have dreams of success, and we're here to give you real-life stories that inspire you. From CEOs, entrepreneurs, coaches, and business owners, if they can do it, you can too. No BS, no fluff. Let's get to it. I believe in you. So today, we have Jody Friedman. And Jody is a music supervisor and publisher who now coaches musicians on how they can have a thriving career licensing their music without having to tour and build a fan base. His coaching company is called License Your Music. And I just think that that is like so awesome that today musicians can actually make money without having to go on tour, like in the old days with like ACDC and, you know, oh, Bob yeah. C or Billy Joel, all these guys like traveling the world and staying at hotels and, you know, having to pay for the rooms they destroyed and, you know, <laughs> you know, all that. Totally. Stuff. So, yeah. So I'm, yeah. Uh, so welcome to Success Diaries. We'd love to hear your story. So uh, just tell us how it all began for you. Well, yeah. I mean, going back to like, like you said, it's, uh, you know, as a musician, when you pick up any instrument and you you become enamored with it, whether it's piano or guitar, if you take to it, for some musicians, their parents force them through piano lessons. I was one of they, them. <laughs> you're one of them. You yeah. hated it at the time, right? But then right. you're older, like, oh, look at this. I can play piano. Right. Um, but even at that point, it's either, you know, you're in an orchestra or you're a teacher or you're trying to be signed to a record label and tour. And that was me. Um, on the, on the later part, trying to be signed and trying to tour and build a fan base and gigging and gigging and gigging and gigging. Um, you know, I started, I grew up in Florida in Safety Harbor, Florida, which is like a little artsy town near Clearwater uh, across the bay from Tampa. And um, I started playing guitar when I was young, like 14, not very young. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I also, I always liked entertaining. You know, I was, uh, even as a little kid, I would like, I'd like the attention I'd liked entertaining and, you know, family parties, I'd just grab a microphone and start singing and whatever it was, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so when I learned guitar, and a bunch of us learned guitar, me and my buddies to pick up girls, because that's what apparently worked when you're in high school. Great motivator. <laughs> Great motivator. So um, I stuck to it, I took to it. And every day I'd go home and I practice every single day. I practiced guitar and I did not have a guitar teacher. I would listen to uh, songs that I liked. I would hit play on my stereo. I'd try to figure out the notes. I'd hit pause, I'd rewind, I'd do it again and again. It took me about a year to learn guitar. Once I learned guitar, I started, I wanted to learn how to sing because uh, I was in a youth group called the National Federation of Temple Youth. And there were these song leaders that were part of the youth group. And I thought, that is so cool. I want to be a song leader. They were up there leading the kids in song sessions and singing and oh, yeah. singing and yelling and dancing. So um, I decided I wanted to learn to sing and play at the same time. That took me another year to figure out how to sing and play. It actually was very hard. It didn't come natural to me. Some people are just natural singers. It's not for me. I had to learn. And so anyway, I learned. And then I, I became song leader. I got elected song leader in my youth group. So that was where I cut my teeth performing. How old were you there? I was 15. 15, yeah. Yeah. So I was in, I was a song leader for three years, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. But um, my 12th grade year, uh, I left my high school early. I did something called early admissions into Florida State University. So my senior year of high school, 
all the credits I got for high school, I was actually earning them during my freshman year at Florida State University. So I, I grew up fast um, yeah. for a multitude of reasons. But um, so while I was in college, I was still song leading kind of, I kind of grew what grew apart from you know, that part of my, I was, I was right. in college. So yeah, sure. there's my youth group. And I was like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really into this anymore. I'm in college now. Uh, so in college I was doing the band thing. I, I was in and out of bands. We would gig. I do a lot of open mics, um, majored in TV production because, uh, like I said, in college, there was the option was to be in an orchestra. There was actually, uh, another option was music therapy. And I considered that for a while and did, took some classes, decided against it. Uh, but it, that was fascinating to me. I minored in psychology. So I majored in TV production. I minored in psychology. And out of school, I got a job at CNN in Atlanta, which is my other passion, film and TV. I always oh, made, yeah. you know, videos with my friends and funny stories and funny skits. We were inspired by a show called The State. Do you remember The State on MTV? No. Mid-90s, early 90s, mid-90s. Sketch comedy, like oh, yeah. before New Kids, uh, before Kids on Kids in the Hall around the same time, actually, there was the state kids in the hall was the Canadian troop. And then the state was the US troop. Anyway, we were inspired by them and would make all these funny videos. Um, so I, so anyway, got a job at CNN. Um, it was a good job. But my love was still music, my passion was music. Right. While I was working, I'd be scribbling lyrics on the back of what we call rundowns, like the rundown for the show in sec segment oh, yeah. one, segment two. So um, CNN, it, this was 2002, and that was American Idol season one. Okay. Uh, Kelly Clarkson won that yeah, year. I remember. So CNN thought, let's do a talent show. <laughs> they did in, internally, it was called CNN Idol. But no. it was actually this, yeah, externally, it was <clears throat> uh, the CNN International Talent Search Competition. People entered from all over the world, all the different, you know, locations for CNN. I wrote a song called the prompter song, which is about my job, uh, working the teleprompter, working up to audio, working all the way up to director. And I, I got into it. I, got, I became a finalist. I got to perform at the tabernacle in Georgia in front of all the company. I mean, the executives, the crew, everybody, there were probably about 3000 people there. That's cool. And oh, it was fun. Very I, cool. I loved that. Yeah. Um, and I, I won, I won first prize in that. So for me, you know, my, and I did skip a little thing. I started writing songs right when I picked up guitar. So I started writing songs when I was 14. So I fell in love with songwriting at the same time. So I, I mentioned that because it's the power of that song that got me, you know, in, into CNN Idol, which allowed me to win that, that the song of, you know, the power of a great song. And then the next day, the president of CNN, I was working, I was working the audio board and my manager came to get me, he said, um, Jim Walton wants to see you. He's the president of CNN. So, and I'm like this lowly, you know, audio <laughs> operator. So I, I went into the office and Jim was really, he was cool. He was, uh, we talked like music and sports. And, but then he said, you know, I, I just wanted to say you, you did such a great job. And actually, uh, Jay, this is just wild. They, they have a, for a while, they had a framed photo of me in the CNN newsroom holding the guitar like it was such a it was such a company motivator like everybody the next day was so like pumped up and company spirit and it's all you know it was, it was like um i don't know it's like a company cheerleader or something that's cool <laughs> but it was it was cool and yeah. so 
so Jim, Jim asked me if I wanted to, um, if I wanted to go to New York, because I had applied for a job in New York. He said, I see you applied for this job. How'd you like to go? So he put in a good word with the New York branch, and then I got the offer for New York. So that song, again, the power of one song, it got me into the office of the president of CNN, which got me the job in New York. And then while I'm in New York, I was gigging still, gigging, 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 in and out of bands, (laughs) as one does. And um, on the way to a gig, the executive producer of the show that I worked on, I was an audio tech on Nancy Grace, the show Nancy Grace. And the the EP stopped me in the hall. His name is Dean Sicoli, And we started talking music again. And he said, you know, we need a theme song for the show. I said, really? He said, yeah, it's for the All Points Bulletin theme. I said, well, I can do that. So I went home that night and I opened up GarageBand on my iMac. Threw threw together some loops and a siren and I turned it in, I think the next day. I didn't know what I was doing. I I couldn't (laughs) mix or anything like that. But, you know, it it was it was a relationship thing. I was I was working there. The EP asked me and then I turned it in. It actually took several months to get pushed through. And Nancy herself helped me push it through because at one point I think they were going to move away from it. So I, I called in a favor. I said, Nancy, can you help me? Because, you know, I have this really big opportunity that Dean presented me. And, it, you know, there's politics involved. Yeah, I'm sure there so, is. So um, Nancy helped me do that. And they wanted to um, they wanted to buy out my performance rights. But I didn't know what that was uh, immediately. So after I turned the song in, I thought, well, I better go learn what this means. So in the Time Warner Center at Columbus Circle, there's a Borders bookstore. There was in 2005. So on my breaks, I'd go to Borders and I started reading books about music publishing and the record business and royalties. And I fell in love with this concept of publishing. I didn't know that you could make money from songs. I thought you could only make money if you were signed to a label and touring. So that was an aha moment for me. what did you say to yourself when you learned that? I said, this is what I'm meant to do. If I can write songs and make money from songs that I write and make a living, then that's what I should be doing. Because, you know, most songwriters, um, not most, yeah, I would say most, most songwriters and producers are introverts or introverted extroverts. I'm mm-hmm. an introverted extrovert. Um, you know, songwriting is actually a very solitary thing. You're by yourself, you're with a guitar, with your piano, mm-hmm. and you you're write a song. Uh, obviously, you can co- collaborate with others, um, but still, it's it's a small community. So, um, and, it's but I, I wanted and, it's, to, and it's a personal thing. The good songs are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's got to come from real experience, and, right. uh, you know, the stuff that you try to fake doesn't really turn out very well. So, um but I love songwriting, you know, it moved me. I loved moving others with my songs. Uh, so I decided to do that, to focus on that. And I, I knew enough by the time they asked me to buy out my royalties, my public performance income royalties. And what that means is anytime a song airs anywhere publicly, there are royalties and those are paid to society uh, that collects on behalf of songwriters and publishers and pays them royalties. Mm-hmm. They're called public performance royalties, like ASCAP and BMI. Right, CSAC are the yeah. the U.S. societies. Is your is is your uh, fan your fan base your listeners? Are there is it a wide range of people? Musicians? It's a wide range. Yeah, yeah. it's a wide entrepreneurs. Range. Right? Yep. Almost, yep. Yeah, So, um, but you know, we may we ha- may have listeners yeah. here that are that uh, 
want that that are musicians. They've never been exposed to this level. You know, you just never know who you're talking to or who's listening. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'll give the broad strokes of, of some of these terms I'm talking about and hopefully it makes sense, but there's, you know, when you create a copyright, there's certain exclusive rights that you have. And one of those rights is to publicly perform your song. Once it's publicly performed somewhere, anybody can publicly perform your song without your permission. Is that right? See, they didn't know that. That's that's yeah. wild. Yeah. So once the Beatles So they don't release, have to ask you. They can just publicly record it. It's a compulsory statutory license. So like the Beatles, for instance, they released Love Me Do on today, July 26th, this morning, let's say. And I don't know why I use the Beatles. It's, you know. Iconic. 2022. Yeah. Um, they released Love Me Do and I hear it and I'm an independent artist. I say, oh my gosh, I love that song. I want to record that. I go in tonight and I record it. All I have to do is pay a license fee to their publisher. I don't ask them for permission. I just pay them a mechanical license fee. And then I can sell Jody Aaron's version of Love Me Do. Is that right? And I, I collect payment and then I count to the, the publisher for 9.1 cents per sale. That's a compulsory license. But you do have to actually get put the license in place and there's there's vehicles to do that. You don't have to actually necessarily call the publisher. You go through song file through the harry fox agency and you can do that yeah so the public performance rights so so, CNN, anyway, so that makes a lot of yeah. sense to me that's yeah. why there's so many versions of so many other songs of the same yeah. song yeah yeah cool i always yeah, thought like they have to talk to the you know who's representing them there's legal matters there's fees there's acknowledgement and approval and it's such a hassle and but there's so many versions of the same song out there and yeah. some are better than the original Totally. Yes. hundred percent. I remember a conference I went to when I was starting and this guy stood up. This is why I use the Beatles. Someone explained this rule, you know, an old time um, publisher. Uh, I think his name was Todd Brabeck. And this guy raises his hand. Nobody else raises his hand. He stands up. He says, so if I'm understanding this correctly, I can record a 10 song album of Beatles songs and just go get the mechanical license through Harry Fox and release that on iTunes. And he says, yes, sir. That's correct. Okay, no further questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty it's, wild. Yeah if, yeah, if your covers are good enough, especially now, right? you know, with streaming, if you say, I'm not going to say her name because she'll hear me, but I'll call her Alicia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alicia, play, you know, play Love Me Do. Right. If you don't say the Beatles, she's not necessarily going to play the Beatles version. Right. So if I release a version of Love Me Do on it's Spotify... Cool. It could be the one that she pulls up. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, public performance royalties. So there's something called a direct license where in the U.S. you can do this because your relationship with the PRO is non-exclusive. You can only be with one PRO. Again, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, those are PROs. And you can only be with one. I'm, as a writer, with uh, CSAC. As a mm-hmm. publisher, you can be with all three because you have to publish writers that are registered with each one. Um, but as a writer, I'm with CSEC. At the time, I was with ASCAP. I can non-exclusively license my public performance rights to a client like you. If you you called me up and say, hey, I run this podcast and I want to license your song, I want to do a direct license, um, then I say yes or no. If I say yes, then you pay me a fee. I mm-hmm. draft up a license. And in that license, I include I'm licensing my public performance rights, meaning that you don't have to go and pay ASCAP to use my song. I get it. 
essentially. So CNN asked me for that. It was a gratis license because I worked there, which was expected. I didn't expect them to pay me. But when they asked me to do a direct license, which came from legal, I knew enough, thankfully, from reading those books, I knew enough to say no. <laughs> so about a year, maybe uh, more like 18 months goes by. Hadn't seen any royalties or anything. And I'm, I'm gathering cue sheets and turning them in to the producer to make sure they get submitted to ASCAP. I was real hound about that. I'm like, Here, here's good. the next week, here's yeah, next week right. and making sure they got submitted. And then uh, my wife and I, we left our jobs in New York 2006 and we headed out West. And it was a summer driving across the country that I got my first royalty statement from ASCAP. And it was $15,000 for the writer's share and $15,000 for the publisher share. Was that you I heard screaming out there in the middle of the country? You and your wife? Yeah, that was, was that it? That was us. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, thought we were I, camping yeah. out. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say to yeah. yourself? Well, I mistakenly thought I had made it. Like that was, I was going to get $30,000 $30, every quarter for the rest of my life. It was, right. I was very naive. <clears throat> but, but very excited. I was very excited. I mean, you know, I, I had I had no job lined up in California. Neither of us did. So it was like, oh, wow, we just got $30,000 to breathe a little bit when we yeah, get there, figure sure. out where to live. And yeah. What I did say was, this is what I'm meant to be doing. I know now Shark Tank's on and Mark Cuban says, follow the green, don't follow the dream. Right. I was very fortunate that I was able to follow both. Yeah, that's good. So we settled in, my father was in Long Beach and my grandfather. So we settled in um, at the time in Westminster, which was up there, Northern Orange County. Now we're in South Orange County. Um, my wife got a job. I spent um, all my time trying to get into licensing more of my, my music. I was taking meetings with music supervisors. I was freelancing on Larry King. Eventually I had to get a job. It, <laughs> that $30,000 goes fast in California. Yeah, that. So I had to get a job uh, at, at CNN in LA and I was freelancing on Larry King as a stage manager for about, I don't know, maybe like 18 months, mm -hmm. you know, six hours a day, three days a week. It wasn't a full-time job. It allowed right. me to still set up my music business and start still take meetings with music supervisors and get to know them, get to know their music needs. And I learned very quickly that I had to represent music outside of my own stuff if I wanted to have a thriving career in licensing mm -hmm. so i quickly started i i started signing other artists and musicians uh representing them licensing them it, it ended up what ended up happening is it became more of a business and i i loved the business part enough that my own music got put on the back burner it's like wait a minute this is fun forget my own stuff i'm gonna license you and you and you yeah, and yeah, you yeah and um you know that's what ended up happening so in 2008 got my first good placement on a show called true blood uh season two on HBO, and then things started to spiral from there. So you were licensing, you were signing these other musicians. So were you like Correct. Their, were you like their agent? Correct. It's uh, it's uh, called a in the industry. It's called a sync agent. Music licensing. There's a term called sync. Um, it has to do with synchronization and synchronizing music to picture. Uh, so I was a sync agent that I loosely use that term agent because in California, if you're an agent, you have to be licensed and bonded. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually say I'm a licensing representative, but yes, it's a sync agent. Gotcha. Okay. And, yeah. And um, so I started a sync agency 
um, I started becoming, you know, publishing other other works as well. I became I was a publisher too for publishing other writers. Um, not in the traditional publisher sense. The traditional music publisher would are still they still exist in Nashville and at the majors. Mm -hmm. uh, a traditional publisher would sign a writer to, you know, I want you to write thirty songs for me this year, and here's your monthly draw, and you know, I own the publishing, I recoup, and then. I'm going to try to get it cut by Tim McGraw or whomever right. wants to cut it. That's a traditional publisher. Um, in licensing, publishing's more fluid, meaning that in that traditional publishing model, they're very selective, as they should be, about what publishers they worked with. In licensing, there's writers that write songs every week and give up their publishing every day to different libraries, to different sync agents, uh, to different publishers who are then exploiting their music in the film and TV business. Mm -hmm. So while I'm in the music business, I'm maybe 20% in the music business. 80% of my career is actually in the entertainment business. It's in the film and TV business. And okay. I work in trailers. I work in marketing with ads and, you know, production companies like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. And that's not the music business. That's the film business. Right. So that's been great. And uh, I've been really lucky. I I've licensed over 10,000 songs in the past what, 2008, so 14 years. And uh, I started music supervising in 2008 as well. And the difference between being the sync agent and the supervisor is that a sync agent is the seller. They're trying to get the music license and they're pitching to music supervisors. Mm -hmm. The music supervisor is hired by the production company to be the gatekeeper for the music that's coming in, Yeah. to advise on the budget, creative strategy, to organize recording sessions, mm -hmm. to deal with the unions, there anything music related to the project, to the film or the TV show, or the ad or the trailer or the video game or the podcast, a music supervisor's job is to oversee all, all things music and sound related to that project. It's crazy. So do you have to learn this by doing it? Do you have to learn it by, you know, being hired in a, another role or... How do you learn this? Well, I learned by doing it. <laughs> it was baptism by fire for me because my my friend from college brought me in to act in his film in 2008. And I said, do you need a music supervisor? And he did. So I was given a $40,000 budget and I think 13 songs to clear to secure the rights to. I knew enough because I had been on the other side of it as a sync agent right. and I knew what contracts looked like and I knew enough to do it. I made some mistakes on that that first project for sure, um, but luckily it got shelved. Luckily for me and my, my licensors, yeah. that project didn't see the light of day uh, that I know of. I think there's some bootleg copy floating around online. I learned by doing it and then, you know, the next job came, the next job came and I got better and better. Um, but now, luckily, there are programs, uh, including my own at licenseyourmusic.com where uh, you know, people teach courses in publishing and licensing and supervision. Um, I have a module in my Platinum Masterclass, uh, Module 6, which is, um, I think Module 6 is how to pitch your music. Module 5 is the gatekeepers. So it's all about music supervision and music coordinators and music clearance. And then I take my students through what it's like to actually go behind the scenes. So I take them behind the scenes with me on... Uh, when I worked on Won't You Be My Neighbor, a documentary about Mr. Rogers that sure, was released that. on yep. Focus Features in 2017. 
So I take them behind the scenes with me and I walk them through clearing a song for that film. And then I give them templates to keep and I, I take them through all the language in those documents. And so there, there's my program. There's also UCLA Extension. Uh, Berkeley has a program, I believe, in music supervision. I think it's a very niche area where, you know, from an academia standpoint, in universities, they teach the music business, the broad right. strokes, because there's a lot to the business. Yeah. Music supervision is just one small part of that. It is a highly coveted position. And, um, you know, a lot of supervisors have a legal background because there's a lot of administration involved. And mm -hmm. the main thing that you're doing is protecting, protecting your clients from infringement. Right. So, and lawsuits. Um, right. Well, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, most artists are solely focused on, you know, most artists are not entrepreneurial. Um, majority of artists are focused on their art for art's sake. And that's right. it. And some of the best artists are like that. Um, but the best artists, the most successful surround themselves with people who are very entrepreneurial and can handle their business so they can focus on the art. So unfortunately, what comes with that is artists don't necessarily know what it means to be using, you know, uh, royalty free samples or music that's not theirs like they they might just create something throw it together with a james brown sample in there and pitch it to you and say hey i created this it's for you it's great for this show and yeah. i've got to be able to receive and say wait a minute that sounds like a sample so then i know the questions to ask do you own 100 percent of the copyright to this yes do you own the publishing do you own the master rights what is that <laughs> okay yeah now we can have a conversation yeah, right. You know, so it's it's my job to screen that and ask the right questions. Has this been released online anywhere through CD Baby or TuneCore? Are you using Splice in any of this? You know, nowadays Splice is a program where anybody can go and download sample packs and put them in their tracks. And that's good and grand for releasing on Spotify and whatnot, but not for sync, not for licensing. So when your course license your music, you teach artists? Are they your students? When you say students, are they artists? Are they? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them are. Uh, I call them uh, independent musicians. Yeah. You know, whether they're artists or songwriters or lyricists, uh, composers, producers. I have some people in my program that are, um, you know, learning to be a sync agent themselves, mm -hmm. publishers. Um, I have music editors in my program, uh, some music supervisors in my program. Yeah, it's really across the board. Anyone who wants to learn about music licensing and I have, uh, you know, a multitude of courses. There's no way to cover it. I try to cover it all with my Platinum Masterclass, but then, you know, module six is how to pitch your music and there's about eight lessons in there. So what I did is I thought, well, there needs to be like a course that's solely focused on pitching because how to pitch your music, that's a program itself. So I, I thought I'm going to pluck this course out and you know, repackage it and sell it for 99 bucks or something. And what I did as I was going through it, I realized, wow, I can go much deeper with this. So naturally it became a course in itself. It was a, it became a five module program mm -hmm. all about how to properly pitch your music, the right things to do, the wrong things to do. I show them how I re respond to music briefs, which come to me from supervisors every day. I get briefs looking, you know, looking for songs like this, this, and this. So I take them with me on, behind the scenes and say, this is what I pitched because I keep my pitches. I have a pitch log and this is why it landed, why it resulted in a placement 
and then I show them what not to do. Right. You know, this is what I pitched to this, and this is why it didn't stick. You know, so I, they really they really go behind the scenes with me, and in the meantime, they've got to learn about the business. There's some there's always some prerequisite <clears throat> um, knowledge needed to take. You know, how to pitch your music. Like you can take that course, but if you don't know what music publishing is, or the basics of the record business, then you're still going to be a bit lost. So my, my platinum masterclass is really my, my entry point to what, what I recommend everyone start with yeah. that has zero experience in licensing. Cause you come out of that, you actually go through it twice. That's what I recommend, but you come out of that with a lot of aha moments. Like, wow, I had no idea this was a thing. I didn't know that's how it worked. I do case studies. Yeah. It's important you know, for the, it, the artists because you know, theoretically they're like you say, they're in their art. That's it. They want to produce music, songs, whatever it might be. They want to write. And they, the mountain is like so vague ahead of them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. their education in the business side, even though they may down the road, you know, download and delegate it off to other entrepreneurs who, are, who have it, at least they're educated and they know. Which is so they don't get taken advantage yeah, of. Yeah, so they don't get, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because we've all heard of artists who have gone bankrupt. Like, like I even heard Meatloaf went bankrupt uh, way back when, and, and and he was phenomenal. Yeah, and you hear, you hear horror stories. So, you know, the best advice is like, you know, get the course, get educated. Don't be naive, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, you think, you, do you think Kanye West doesn't understand the business? No, I think he does. Oh, yeah. Taylor Swift, you know, yeah. she, they learn the business enough to be dangerous. And right. then they surround themselves with a team that can handle it for them. Right. But they're still involved with their discussions. Also, I, I like using Kanye West as an example. People think when you sign a deal with a publisher or a sync agency that you don't necessarily, you shouldn't pitch your music. And that's not true. If you don't think that Kanye West walks in a room with new music in hand, then you clearly don't know Kanye, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's his personality. Like, even though he's got a major label and a major publisher and, you know, all these, this, these, this team of elite individuals around him, he's still pitching himself. Right. Yeah. Probably. So what well, every, every artist, everyone who creates, you know, you have to sell right. and it can be an easy sell. It can be a soft sell. And you know, that's right. You say the word sell and sales. And it's got that, connotation to it like all of a sudden that means used car salesman it doesn't have to it's just talking about what you have to offer people right it's how you digest that word you know and people respond automatically with like oh no i don't want to sell i can't sell no i don't want to talk to people i just but you have to learn it yeah yeah you have to learn it so where do you think the music industry is going in the future in the next two to five years oh man um There's a lot of AI coming into play, AI composing, yeah. uh, AI producing, AI search results for websites. I don't think that there's a lot of people scared that that will replace composers, put them out of work. I don't think it will. I think it's like, um, I heard something recently, a, a colleague of mine said, when plugins, there's something called plugins that producers use when they're producing. I work in Logic, so I'll use Logic as an example. That's my audio workstation, my digital audio workstation. There's Pro Tools, there's Logic, there's Cubase, there's Cakewalk, there's Reason, all sorts of DAWs, digital audio workstations. And there's plugins, which means when when I play my MIDI controller, it looks like a keyboard, but it's a MIDI controller. 
it sends electric signals into the DAW that tells my Mac, according to what plugin is plugged into it, it's loaded up to play a sound. So if I hit a button, if I hit the C note, it might play the sound of a saxophone. Right. It might play the sound of a piano. It might play the sound of a violin, legato mm -hmm. or staccato or whatever it might be. It might play like a beep or a punch or a mm -hmm. kick or whatever mm -hmm. it is. It's a controller. So when plugins were really coming up, I'd say probably 20 years ago, and now they're ev it's everything. And the plugins, the quality of the plugins, Jay, it's so, is yeah, it's so advanced, I'm sure. It's unbelievable. You yeah. can fake a real orchestra if you know what you're doing. It's crazy. But that was it. It was like, oh my gosh, these plugins are going to replace orchestras. Mm -hmm. But and that's it's, not what happened at all. Right. It actually made more work for orchestras because now people, there's still nothing like the real thing. There's nothing like the real thing. Mm -hmm. So people will produce it and they'll say, oh, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. Oh, what would it sound like if I put an orchestra on it? Right. Like a real orchestra. Right. So they're going to Prague or, you know, wherever to hire an orchestra. And so the AI thing, it's causing a lot of fear. And I think that's, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think it's going to actually help um, productivity for producers and composers. Yeah. Uh, it's going to help with, on the sync side, it's already helping with finding songs when you're on a project, when you're on a website, and I need to find something like Coldplay. I search sounds like Coldplay, and it'll bring up results on the website, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some big publishers coming up. There's a the hypnosis team that was, um, the guy's name is Merck mercuriatus or something he has a really cool name he came on the scene like i don't know a year and a half ago it was 2020 i feel like during covid and he just like pulled together a lot of hedge funds and all of a sudden they are a major player in the publishing scene they signed stevie nicks they signed um i think bob dylan recently they're making these really artist friendly offers to legacy artists who yeah. are looking to sell their catalog as they right. get older you know, um, what's his name? Um, George Thorogood. Uh, you know, they, they signed a bunch of talent and have this massive catalog. So I think we're going to see some more of those plays. Yeah. I think there's going to be some more uh, companies, big, big publishers coming on the scene. Um, probably the same approach that Merck did, you know, funded by hedge funds and investors who just love music and think it'd be cool to own a publishing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And own the catalog of uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. that show Billions. They just do it for fun. Yeah, 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 crazy. So you would recommend artists become educated. Yes. Are there other courses that are done in the universities or is it more like they give you the broad view of the industry when you're in college? Uh, I only know so much about that world. There are certificates, I think, that you can get. UCLA is one of them. You can get a UCLA extension certificate and i believe you can do it online in music supervision mm -hmm. and i believe you can do that at berkeley as well in boston mm -hmm. outside of that i don't know of any music supervision programs there's definitely publishing programs but again it's so even publishing is like it's one niche right you know i i didn't do any of that i i read books you know everything you need to know about the music business by don passman was one book that i swear by another one uh Music Publishing, A Songwriter's Guide by Randy Poe, P-O-E. Making Music Make Money by Eric Beale. Those were great books and they were they were my my Bibles when it when I was getting into the business. So 
I always recommend them for my interns, you know, or before you intern with me, I want you to read these books. So <clears throat> nothing really replaces education, right? And with technology yeah. and courses that come out from people, you know, being brilliant is finding someone who has gone where you want to go, right? And learning from them, right? So the amount of time, years, effort, successes, and failures that you've gone through to arrive at this point is a tremendous value, I would think, to people who take your courses. I definitely agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about this industry. And I feel like today, like I've learned so, so much in just a short you know, like 30 minutes we've been talking. It just has blown my mind. So I can't even imagine that if I actually had talent, which I don't, but if I was actually, you know, a songwriter and I played, you know, the ukulele and I really wanted to get my music out there, how could you not be inspired not to take your course and learn and be so much more confident in your own abilities and not to be taken advantage of down the road? Because I kind of believe that that's a big fear for a lot of artists. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift was very public several years ago about that whole thing and it got a lot of media attention. And I'm sure that it probably scared a lot of artists. She signed a deal, um, you know, that either she didn't know what she was doing or she did. And then she increased uh, her success and uh, she looked at the deal and said, wait a minute, this wasn't a very friendly, artist friendly deal. Right. But she did. She did sign the deal. Right. You know, and, and that the music business is 50% business, 50% music. Right. So you could have the music down pat, but if you don't know the business, how are you going to succeed? Yeah, you know, it's like that in every field, every yeah. field. You have to know the business side enough so you don't get taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I thought it was an awesome discussion today. Thank you for sharing and being so honest and, uh, and sincere about, you know, your journey and about what you offer. I thought it was just awesome. Oh, yeah, it was fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell people if they're looking where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at licenseyourmusic.com. That's the best place, licenseyourmusic.com. That's you. Yeah. Awesome. That's me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure we'll stay in touch, and I'm sure this is going to get, get great reviews. So you're an awesome guy. Thanks for being so honest Thanks, and upfront. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe to the show in iTunes or wherever you consume podcast information. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a four or five star rating and a comment with a review below. We hope you truly learned something today. Share this podcast. We'll see you next time.